Welcome everybody to the final 2016 edition of Giants Goal Line. I know it's 2017, but the 2016 season. And today we're going to take a look back on that year, including the disappointment of the Giants' 38-13 loss to the Green Bay Packers in the wildcard game last Sunday night. Put a real damper on what was an otherwise successful year. We'll look at what went wrong against the Packers. Uh, we'll look at some of the things that went right against the Packers, although there were not many of them. Uh, we'll also, of course, take a look at Boatgate and how that uh, may or may not have impacted the Giants' playoff loss. We will also take a look back with a little excitement at the Giants' 11-6 season, their first trip to the playoffs since 2011. It showed a lot of promise in what they did under first-year coach Ben McAdoo, so it certainly wasn't all bad despite the ending. We'll take a sneak peek at Jerry Reese's offseason to-do list, how he can improve this team and rebuild an offense that ranked 25th in the NFL. Stunning when you think about it, considering for two years in a row they had been in the top 10. In the end, of course, it proved to be the Giants' Achilles heel, which for anybody who's been listening to this podcast all season long, that came as no surprise since pretty much talked about it every week. Anyway, we'll talk to my good friend and uh, my favorite NFL columnist, Bob Glauber of Newsday, and get his thoughts on what went right and what went wrong with the Giants and where they go from here and, uh, you know, peek into what the prospects are for 2017, whether this was a one-year wonder or the Giants are back to a team that has a chance to be a perennial playoff contender. For now, though, we're going to start as we usually do with the three headlines of the week. And the number one headline for the Giants is what went wrong? Look back at uh, that Packers 38 to 13 win over the Giants. And to be perfectly honest, it is the same old story, the same old sad story about an offense that just could not deliver. We remember in that game, uh, the first half, really the first 26 minutes or so, the Giants were dominant. I mean, absolutely dominant. Their defense shut down Aaron Rodgers. He had nowhere to throw. The Giants secondary for those 26 minutes played maybe better than I've ever seen a Giants secondary play against a dangerous group of wide receivers. There was a point in the second quarter of that game where the Packers had minus 11 total yards, which given Aaron Rodgers and how he's played and all the weapons they have, that was absolutely amazing. It obviously unraveled from there, and there were a lot of reasons for that. A lot of it had to do with Dominique Rogers cromartie getting hurt, although the Packers lost Jordy Nelson, so that evened it out a little bit. But the Giants held them to nothing right up until you got to about four minutes to go, and the Packers got the ball left, uh, ball back, and they went on this lightning-quick um, touchdown drive. And after they had a big... Uh, a uh, big couple of big passes and uh, an Aaron Rodgers uh, touchdown pass to Devontae Adams. And it was all because the Giants kept giving the ball back to them. The offense could not do anything. Drops from the wide receivers, stalls in the red zone, things we've seen all year long, um, penalties and missed assignments at the wrong time. And as Ben McAdoo said after the game, if you keep giving Aaron Rodgers opportunities, he is going to make you pay. Not only did he get that touchdown 
with just a couple of minutes to go. The Giants offense couldn't even run out the clock with, with those in those final two minutes. Gave Aaron Rodgers the ball one more time. That set the stage for that amazing Hail Mary pass to Randall Cobb from 42 yards out. So reminiscent of the Hakeem Nicks Hail Mary at the end of the first half four years earlier. Um, and that was really the ball game. I know the Giants were only down 14-6 there. They would make it 14-13, but by then the strain on the defense was way too much, and Aaron Rodgers just went off from there. And the Giants uh, all game long were, were dismal offensively. It started on that first series. Odell Beckham drops that easy pass. The second series, Beckham and Sterling Shepard drop passes in the end zone. You can't miss opportunities like that. And eventually the, the Packers just made them pay. That was really what went wrong. It was not the defense. Yes, the defense did not play well in the second half, but they were put, as they were all season, in this position where they had to win the game almost completely on their own. And the Giants knew it. I mean, after the game, you heard a lot of them talk about how different things would have been if they had converted touchdowns on those two opening drives. If they had somehow, after a trip all the way to the they got to the 35-yard line on the first drive. They came away with nothing. They had to punt thanks to uh, Odell Beckham's drop. On the second drive, they got all the way to the 8-yard line. They had to have a field goal. So instead of a 3, and that was after with those two drops in the end zone, instead of a 3-0 lead, they had a chance there to be up 14-0, and who knows how different everything might have been from there. So wasted opportunities by the offense. Not, is not, I do not blame the defense for this. That was not their best game. But with their dominant first-half performance, shame on the offense for not taking advantage and changing the tone of this game. The number two headline for the Giants was an unfortunate one, and it's all hands not on deck. And, yeah, that's a really dumb pun about Boatgate. And I said this a week earlier, and I still stand by it, that the decision by Victor Cruz and Odell Beckham and Sterling Shepard and Roger Lewis to go to Miami six days before a playoff game looked worse than it actually was. You cannot draw a straight line of preparation, of readiness from that decision to the drops that the receivers had in the playoff game. But as so many people, from Jerry Reese to Ben McAdoo to Eli Manning, have said since, if you're going to do that, and if you're going to do what Odell Beckham did in the week before, you know, have a, put on a little locker room show and do his wrestling imitation, and you know, the receivers are going to run shirtless on the field, and they're going to make general look-at-me spectacles of themselves, they better perform. Because you can't do that and not perform and expect people to not try to draw that straight line. And the bottom line is the Giants receivers came up absolutely small. They had, between the three of them, between the three big ones, 24 targets. 24 times they had the ball thrown to them. They came up with 11 catches. And I think a total of about 116 yards. That is not good enough at all for a receiving core that likes to believe it was one of the best in the league and never could quite prove it. Far too many drops. I know Odell Beckham, some of the passes were tough. Eli Manning said I didn't necessarily need to make it so hard on him. But he had at least five passes that he got his hands on and couldn't catch. And I'm sorry, as one of the top three or four receivers in football, receivers forever have told me, hey, if I get my hands on it, I have to catch it. As one of the top receivers in football, you absolutely have to do that. His third down drop on the first drive, 
The pass was perfect, absolutely inexcusable. The touchdown, would-be touchdown pass on the second drive, a little bit of a degree of difficulty, but we've seen him make better catches than that. Uh, terrible that he wasn't able to do that after the look-at-me performance, and it does open up the question of preparedness, and I, I think I said this last week as well. I've talked to a lot of uh, former Giants players since then who said the same thing. You know, for when the Giants were good in 2007 and 2011, one of the things they rallied around was the fact that on the off days, everybody was in working. That was part of their togetherness. They were focused on nothing but football. The Giants receivers in particular were clearly focused on more things besides football during the week. And that would have been fine, and nobody would have cared if they went out and played well. But they didn't, and now they have to own it. It was a terrible decision in hindsight to go to Miami. It was a terrible decision at the time. Looked worse than it was, yes. But now they deserve all the criticism they're going to get because they came up small in a very, very big spot. That being said, we turn to our, our attention to headline number three, and that is what went right. And really, as disappointed as you may be, a lot went right for the Giants this season. Just think about how dismal they were over the last few years. Six and ten last year, six and ten the year before, seven and nine the year before that. No playoffs since Super Bowl 46. You are in a situation where the roster Boy, the cupboard sure looked bare, and it looked like a long rebuilding project. It got Tom Coughlin fired, the coach that nobody in the organization, or I shouldn't say that, it's a lot of people in the organization did not want to see go. They had to fire Tom Coughlin because things had gotten so bad. In one year, granted with a lot of money, but it was more than that, in one year, Jerry Reese re-engineered this roster, built the defense from the worst in the NFL in a historically bad defense, to a top 10 unit that was playing absolutely lights out towards the end of the season, played great December football. The offense struggled, no doubt. There were certainly weapons still there, but they won a lot of games, a lot of close games. It really was, it was actually completely opposite than it was a year ago. The Giants a year ago were all about offense, nothing on defense. This year they were all about defense, nothing on offense. But much more importantly, in 2015, they blew an NFL record five fourth quarter leads and games they ended up losing this time they won a ton of games in the fourth quarter because they had a defense uh, that played at a championship level and quite frankly you know for all of Ben McAdoo's issues with play calling and running his offense and got a lot of criticism for that I thought he did a brilliant job of coaching 11 wins as a rookie NFL coach is certainly not anything to be upset about um, to criticize really at all could have been better, even if he had gotten more out of the offense, gotten a couple more wins. Maybe they get a home game in the playoffs instead. But, hey, they beat the Dallas Cowboys twice. They had those 11 wins. They got to the playoffs. Uh, a great job overall by Ben McAdoo. And for Jerry Reese, really, when you look at it, they have built a team that's built to last going forward because uh, they're, they have some key free agents, Jason Pierre-Paul for one, Jonathan Hankins. Uh, there's going to be some changes. You're probably not going to see Victor Cruz come back. Uh, you know, Dominique rogers Cromartie is getting a little older and expensive. His situation is up in the air. But for the most part, they are returning next season. A lot of their key players, most of their key players, they still have their franchise quarterback who played a lot better than people give him credit for. And they're going to into an offseason with probably to start somewhere around $35 million in cap room, 
Not a ton in today's NFL, but enough to go out and sign some of their key free agents and be at least a little bit of a factor in the open market. We'll get into uh, later on what they'll be looking for, but the things they need, they should be able to afford, which you would hope would keep this team on top for quite a while. So again, a disappointing end to the 2016 season, but a good season overall and a lot of promise for the future. At least that's my opinion on it. Another guy who maybe has a different opinion. We'll see. We're going to bring in right now, and that is my good friend Bob Glauber of Newsday. By the way, you can follow on Twitter at at Bob Glauber and read his stuff on the Giants, on the Jets, on the NFL in general at Newsday.com, and I'm thrilled that he joins me right now. Bob, thank you so much for joining Giants Goal Line. How are you doing today? I'm great, Ralph. How are you? I am doing good. Finally getting some rest after the long season, as are the Giants, and I was just telling our listeners that, uh, you know, as disappointed as Giants fans are, and I'm sure that they are crushed, really, after the loss to the Packers, I don't know how you look back at this season and don't smile a little bit. I mean, overall, as a Giants fan, after the misery you had, I would think you've got to be pretty pleased. Is that, is that how you look at it, too? Absolutely. I mean, four straight years with no playoffs, two 6-10 and ten seasons back-to-back, coaching change. You know, you, you had a lot to like about that season. Were there problems? Sure. I mean, we saw the offense struggle for most of the season, if not all the season, and it, it went it went south uh, just way too often. But you know, I, I think there are things I hate to use that that term. Uh, hey, it's correctable that coaches like to use a lot. But but I do think that with a few moves, the Giants actually can can remain competitive. So, you know, how do you not like eleven and five? Yeah, the playoff loss hurts, but at least there's some level of optimism moving forward. Before we get to those few moves that will keep him on top, uh, and I agree with you, by the way, it shouldn't take much for this team to be somewhat, of a, or at least a return to the playoff, if not a, uh, a perennial contender. What do you think went wrong with the offense this season? You know, Ralph, it was so hard to put a finger on, and I think it was just an accumulation of things. Offensive line play was inconsistent. Running game didn't really get going until late in the season when Paul Perkins finally started to perk up, if you will. And, and, you know, really took that job and, and, and ran with it and, and did a better job. Um, when, when Eli Manning doesn't get blocking, it certainly doesn't help. But I think Manning himself showed some signs of regression, and that, you know, that's got to be concerning. I think that's the reason that Jerry Reese at least admitted to the fact that at 36 years old, you've got to start looking uh, at what comes next after Eli Manning. They didn't have consistent tight end play, and, and I think that's, you know, think of the tight ends that Eli Manning has had over his career. You know, Jeremy Shockey, okay, you know, he, he flamed out, but, but he, he was a viable alternative. Kevin Boss was really a, a solid tight end for him. Uh, Martellus Bennett, they had him for a year, but he showed a lot of flashes. But, you know, Eli Manning didn't have that, and that's often a, a safety blanket for a quarterback. The wide receivers had very good production collectively, but, you know, Victor Cruz was, was not the Victor Cruz of old. Sterling Shepard had his rookie moments, had some promising moments, but, you know, he's still learning the offense. Odell Beckham, when he wasn't catching the pass, uh, the passes, you know, was kind of freaking out, so, so there was that. So I think it was just an accumulation of everything that, that really combined to, to limit them. And it was really, it was really vexing. And I, I it's hard to put a finger on, and even Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Ben McAdoo, at his uh, post, you know, postseason press conference, you know, he he was kind of at a loss for answers, and so was Jerry Reese. So I think it was just kind of like 
man, make you scratch your head and say, what, what the heck just happened? Because this is the same team that scored 30 or more points seven times just a year earlier. Yeah, I mean, returning almost everybody from a mm-hmm. team that two years in a row, were, they were in the top ten. And, you know, I, I've been wrestling with the idea of Eli Manning regressing a little bit. And there's no doubt to me he didn't play well. Um, he's 36 years old, so you have to at least consider the possibility that this is the beginning of what will be an inevitable decline at some point. But he just, to me, he had nothing around him. I mean, the offensive yeah. line... Early on, I thought the offensive line was going to get him killed. They stabilized a little bit later, but they still had, uh, you know, he still had to rush that offense a little bit. And his weapons, other than Odell Beckham, were not really reliable. So I wonder a little bit whether he regressed or if he just wasn't able to, to sort of lift a bad supporting cast. Yeah, I, and I think that's a fair way of looking at it. You, you certainly wonder. But... You also got to say that, you know, generally speaking, quarterbacks, the, the line of demarcation for most great quarterbacks is 38 years old. You saw Montana, Phil Simms, Steve Young, uh, Dan Marino, uh, a lot of other guys at 38, and even Peyton Manning to some degree, that's when it kind of starts to fall apart. John Elway, his last year was age 38. Now you have some exceptions, Warren Moon, Brett Favre is probably the most notable exception. But Eli Manning, you know, he's 36, but... You know, maybe in, in kind of in, in football years, he might be 38 because he, he hasn't missed a game mm-hmm. since 2004. And that's, you know, that really is saying something. And so I think he's got, you know, he's got a lot of wear on his body. And I know that he has protected himself very well, but, man, it's an accumulation of hits and it's accumulation of games. And, you know, it's a grind. So I, I, I do think it's fair to wonder whether, you know, he has topped out. I, I mean, there, there, were, there were just times that – just didn't have it. And, I, and I'm talking about early in the season when I remember in the Saints game just kind of thinking that, man, something, something's not right with Eli. He just, just doesn't seem to have it. And, you know, I think he was held to uh, – I'm not sure what the points total was, but it wasn't great. And mm-hmm. people were feasting on the Saints' defense uh, after that and before that. And remember last year in that shootout he had in New Orleans, he was on fire. So, I don't know. I, I just think there were some moments last year when you just wondered – all right, and you know all the problems. You know the offensive line, tight end, running game, that, and that's fair. But but I think you still got to leave your mind open to the fact that you know he might be starting to slow down a little bit. And I think that's quite frankly why Jerry Reese was so, I think, stunningly open about. Well, yeah, we're going to have to think about you know looking for a replacement for Eli Manning. Those those words were never spoken and never came from his lips publicly uh, until the other day. Yeah, that was really interesting, and I, I'm going to ask you about that in a second. But before we get to that, if you if you have you're Jerry Reese and you've got Eli Manning, obviously he's their starting quarterback next year. Mm-hmm. But you know there's a possibility of a decline. You definitely know he's got a two to three year window to win his last or one more championship. What do you do to give him the best shot? Is it all about getting those weapons on offense uh, as you had just talked about, or is there more that you think the Giants need to do this offseason? I don't think it will take a lot, Ralph, and I, and I agree with you that the window is small. It's, it's two or three years, and, and that's a fair um, evaluation of how long that would last. And I do think you have to make a major decision at left tackle. Eric Flowers has just not panned out. I think you've got to move him to either right tackle or uh, put him at right guard. You know, if he was, is a solid fixture at, at left guard, and, and then you put Flowers at right guard, he could be a mauler inside. He's, he's just 
he's just he's a mean player, which is good, but he just doesn't have the feet and and the hand movement to really play um, niftily, mm-hmm. if you want to use that good word. word. Very good fact, word. Like, you have to be nifty, and he's not, and he, he's just stiff sometimes too much, and he'll get exposed by a speed rusher like like Julius Peppers, and it happened last week. So I think you have to fix the left tackle position, and I really think that he would benefit from a reliable tight end. You know, that just didn't happen, and uh, and that was that was a shame for him because you know Larry Donnell, Larry Donnell runs better routes than Will Ty, but Larry Donnell's hands and his ball security were were a liability. And once that interception occurred in the Packers game out there in the regular season, I don't know that he was even thrown to. Um, I think it was the Packers game when when they, you know, just misfired. But there was there was just one point where Larry Donnell, you could just tell from Ben McAdoo that okay, I've lost I've lost faith in this guy. And you know, he could run that seam route that could bust those cover two alignments, and that's really what was missing for the for the Giants. And you know, that was important. And when you don't have a player who can bust up that cover two and then finally open it up for Odell Beckham and Sterling Shepard to a lesser degree, then, you know, you were going to be in trouble. And I think that's that was a big shortcoming of that offense this year. All right, so in the long run, um, let's say whether the Giants rebuild uh, this team or the offense around Eli Manning or not, we know the end is coming eventually. A, I think his contract runs through the 2019 season. Mm-hmm. And we also know that history shows there's almost every time you transition from a franchise quarterback to another franchise quarterback, it's messy somehow. It's either an ugly divorce or you don't go to the right guy right away. I mean, the Giants, the bridge from Phil Simms to really Kerry Collins, who might be their next franchise quarterback, mm-hmm. was littered with, you know, Kent Graham and Dave Brown and Danny Cannell, and, you know, none of those were elite-level guys. So if the Giants are now, as Jerry Reese said, at least thinking about preparing for life after Eli, what do you think they should do? I mean, do they dive into the draft this year and, you know, use a first-rounder on somebody or try to move up in the draft? Do they, you know, how, how do you think they should proceed? I don't know that you try to move up in this draft, Ralph. I, you know, Jerry Reese has not, he's only done that a couple of times, and, and I don't know that, you know, if you're going to get into the top ten, it's just too far to go. So I think if you see somebody in the first round that you like, that you have a conviction on, that it's lower down, okay, you, you, you think about it. But I think more... More likely this year it would be a second or third or even fourth round pick, um, and think that way. And you think developmentally that if Ben McAdoo has a conviction on a guy that you don't have to spend a lot of draft capital on, then you do that. But and I think it'll be a pretty logical process. I don't think you go make a big trade for a veteran. You don't you don't have to do that. You have your own veteran there. So I think they'll. I, I think Jerry Reese will study it, and if they feel they can come up with somebody in a little bit. You know, of a mid-round range, then then it makes sense. You know, I mean, Dak Prescott was a fourth-round pick, and had that work out. Uh, Connor Cook, a fourth-round pick, and certainly you know, very green mm-hmm. in that playoff game for the Raiders. But that's where you can can get some of those guys. Bryce Petty was a fourth-rounder, so you know, some some hit, most miss. But I, I think that's where you got to start taking taking some shots, and um, you know it. It might or might not work out, but I think that they're certainly thinking in that direction. And you know what, Ralph? I, it wouldn't shock me if they don't draft a quarterback. I don't think they're just going to draft one 
just for the sake of drafting one because okay, we, well we you know at least we we took one and and we'll start throwing darts. You know they they got to have a conviction on a guy at the time that they're ready to pick. And drafting in the fourth round or even th- really second third too the same way you're basically just taking a flyer on a guy. So your yes. your thought would be grab a guy that you like. See if you know, if he learns for a couple of years, learns from Eli Manning. Maybe he develops, and then if not, when Eli decides to retire, then get a little more serious and maybe go right. into the first round or so. Yes, I, I think that would be the uh, that would be the way to go. Now, you know, the Packers got really lucky with Aaron Rodgers. What was he? I think he was twenty fourth overall. Yeah, and he was projected. If I remember that year, there was a debate whether he or Alex Smith would go number one, and then fell right. out of nowhere. Yes, and then then. I actually remember purposely just taking a shot, not taking Aaron Rodgers in the first round, because I, you know, I thought that that once Smith went, he would fall, and he did. Now he, he obviously went in the first round, and and Green Bay was very very lucky to get maybe the best quarterback of his generation, um, you know. And I'm talking about after Tom Brady because mm-hmm. he's obviously the best that there is now. But uh, that's that's where you could potentially. Um, get in there and then if you feel that that's your conviction then you take them and I, you know, I think Eli Manning would be fine with a first round quarter I don't think he'd be happy but I think he's a realistic player and a realistic athlete and say okay you know my my time is going to come here but he is under contract and I, I don't think the Gi- the Giants would you know if they do draft a first round quarterback I don't think they would push Eli Manning out of the starting line. They wouldn't. Yeah. There, there's just no sense. It gives you an advantage to keep a guy around to learn for a couple of years, and then when Eli really does you know, fall off in a, in a way significant enough that you've got to make a change, that theoretically your guy's ready if that's the way they go. Yep. Well, it's going to be certainly interesting to watch and see what they do around the draft. Uh, I think you're probably right. I think they might take a flyer and a quarterback at some point, but we will see. Bob, thank you so much for joining me on uh, Giants Goal Line. I really appreciate it. You got it, Ralph. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was Bob Glauber, the fantastic NFL columnist from Newsday. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Bob Glauber and, of course, read his stuff throughout the playoffs, throughout the offseason, and just all the time over at Newsday.com. And, uh, you know, Bob and I pretty much agree on all that, how to keep the Giants competitive, what to do with Eli Manning, uh, in the future, had a sort of plan for life after Eli Manning. Uh, let's stick, though, to, uh, for now, the immediate future, which is how to keep the Giants on top and uh, get them back to the playoffs next season. And I agree with Bob. I do not think it will take a lot. They will have cap room to spend, and they have to spend it wisely. They spent it all last season on defense. Look how it worked. 32nd in the league to top 10 championship-level play. Um, great at so many positions, the best secondary for the Giants that I maybe have ever seen, certainly since the 80s, uh, maybe ever. they got to do the same with the offense now when they have definite holes, and, and to me the first step is going to be that offensive line. I agree with Bob Glauber. You have to get Eric Flowers out of that left tackle spot and at least be open to it because last offseason they could have brought in a couple of left tackles, veteran free agents, but they did not want to move Eric Flowers and those tackles that came in for personal reasons, for financial reasons, did not want to move to the right side. Given that same situation, if there's a left tackle out there, the Giants cannot be stubborn about it. I think Flowers has proven that he's not ready. I won't say that he can never be a left tackle, but he's not ready to do that. And with his size and his mean streak, 
he might be better suited inside a guard. And if you've got Pew and Flowers at guard and Weston Richburg at center and you add two NFL-quality tackles, that suddenly might be a pretty good offensive line. And protecting Eli Manning, to me, I think will fix most of his flaws. I don't think he's regressing as much as um, Bob did, um, but I think that given protection, he can still be right on the money, assuming his people, his targets, hold on to the ball. And that's my second and third off-season rebuilding plan. Like Bob Glauber said, they have to get a tight end. You know, they were, they had Jeremy Shockey, who was a head case, but certainly fantastic uh, as an athlete and as a weapon. After that, they really got suckered a little bit. When you think about the tight ends they had, yeah, Kevin Boss was a solid player. He was also a late-round draft pick. Um, Jake Ballard was an undrafted free agent. Martellus Bennett, as good as he is now, was completely buried on the Cowboys and didn't have a lot of free agent suitors. He had to prove his worth when he came to the Giants. And even Larry Donnell, a couple of years ago, had 60-something catches. So the Giants felt like they could take these um, project tight ends, these guys that they you could mold a little bit and turn them into maybe not Tony Gonzalez's, but certainly you know, 60, 70-yard um, weapons, 70-catch uh, weapons. And they did for a while, but it caught up to them the last couple of years. Uh, Donnell injuries last year, and then he regressed badly this year. Will Ty, not much of a blocker, a bit of a flawed receiver, not very aggressive. You know, who knows what Jarrell Adams is as a seventh rounder. But to me, they have to look strongly. If there's a free agent tight end out there or a um, somebody in the first round of the draft, they have to go after him because Eli Manning does not have that reliable, big, over-the-middle target to hit. And he absolutely needs that. He absolutely needs that in the red zone. And on top of that, he needs that at receiver, too, because his receivers are generally small. And they may play big and play well, but they're all six feet and under. Um, they're probably going to lose Victor Cruz, something we'll get to in a future podcast. But what they don't have is what they had back with their top teams, their, their championship teams. Think back to 2007. Plaxico Burris was 6'5". Amani Toomer was 6'4", I believe. They had the big tight end as well. He just had huge targets uh, that made it easier for him throwing passes along the sidelines or over the middle. They need to get back to that. So I think, you know, the tackles, the tight end, and a big 6'3 or longer wide receiver has to be their number one free agent target, number one tr target in the draft, whichever way it works. Um, and I also think they got to work to keep that, their defense together as much as possible, either re-sign Jason Pierre-Paul, probably over Jonathan Hankins, or at a second pass rusher because Olivier Vernon is fine. He did a terrific job, eight and a half sacks, but he's not an elite standalone pass rusher. He needs a guy on the other side to really make him effective. Um, so if it's not JPP, sign another pass rusher. But most of that money that they're going to have most of their attention in the draft has to go to rebuilding the offense and give Eli Manning a chance in the later years of his career to make one final Super Bowl run. All right, that is it for the 2016 season and uh, our Giants Goal Line podcast for now. We will be back during the offseason. We'll be back likely in February after a brief hiatus, probably right around the start of the NFL Scouting Combine, which is late February uh, and in the meantime there are lots of reasons for you not only to look forward to that but to follow me on Twitter at rvacianosny to like my Facebook page facebook.com slash ralphvacianosny and to bookmark 
SNYGiants.com or SNYTV slash Giants. For the rest of the offseason, we'll keep you informed on everything the Giants are doing, uh, starting with who they look at, the com- look at at the combine, what they do in free agency, which opens on March 9th, by the way. Keep that date circled on your calendar. And, of course, we will have a huge run-up to the NFL draft where the Giants will be picking 23rd. And trust me, you're not going to want to go anywhere else uh, from now all the way through the offseason, right up until training camp in July. We will uh, have a bunch of podcasts along the way, a bunch of great guests. Uh, I'm sure it will be a star-studded lineup, and we'll give you all the information on the Giants that you need from now until the start of the 2017 season. But for right now, it is break time for us. Thanks, as always, to Jason Pateri and Adam Schaefer for keeping this podcast running. And thank you all for listening all season long. I will talk to you again real soon right here on Giants Goal Line. This has been Giants Goal Line, part of the SNY.TV audio network.